Hola, señor Juan Pablo Celis García. Bienvenido al Incongruent Podcast. ¿Cómo estás usted? Muy bien, gracias. Thank you so much. That's really good Spanish. <laughs> Thank you. In a world dealing with a pandemic, political tensions, and a great divide in the people, our society is in need of rebuilding and bettering, which can only start by ensuring human rights are central to recovery efforts. With this in mind, it was only right to invite a guest who is crucial to making this happen. Join us today as advisor to a youth committee at the UN and also a spokesperson to the Education USA program of the U.S. Department of State, Juan Pablo Celis Garcia. In a span of 10 years, Juan has provided support and awareness in bringing justice to refugees and migrants, abolishing gender inequality, building up a powerful financial support structure in companies, and encouraging stable opportunities for the youth's political participation and decision-making, and the list of about 2,000 more things. For someone so young to have accomplished so much, it truly is so inspiring and an honor to have you join us here today. So in an interview which you gave in El Tempo last year, you stated that throughout your career so far, you have observed discrimination against young people who are being perceived as immature and unable to provide effective problem solutions. Why do you think this is still prominent in a society that regards itself as a progressive society? I, I think there are many different issues that causes this um, this continuous stereotyping of young people, in uh, especially in decision-making processes. And one of them is because young people are still not included in many spaces where decisions are made. Um, in these uh, high-level decision-making spaces, like in companies, in governments, in institutions, there is a still a lack of young people participating in these decisions. And I think that's what it creates such stereotypes because um, the other generations are not able to understand what young people can offer if they not bring, if they don't bring young people to the conversation and to the table of decisions. So I think that's the main reason why I believe that there is a still this kind of stereotyping about young people that, uh, oh, you're too young to be a leader, an important leader, or you're too... Uh, you might be too young to take on a very important leadership role because you might be too immature. You might be making uh, emotional decisions or you don't have good experience or, or a lot of experience. But um, that has been proven not to be the case. But that, have, that we can overcome those barriers when we have young people actually in the decision making process. Okay, so just a question, uh, like just to follow up. So you yourself, in what age did you start your career to to become to the stage of, uh, to sort of say, till this time, to break, to reach your level as the United Na in United Nations. So in what age did you start? Um, well, as I said, I'm an advisor to a youth, the, the Youth Representatives Steering Committee of the UN Department of Global Communications. I'm acting just as an advisor at this moment. Um, but I started this journey because I experienced myself that kind of, uh, you know, I, maybe I would say in some instances discrimination, but I think it's more of like uh, just the, you know, sometimes being excluded, uh, not necessarily discrimination, but more of like being excluded because I started this journey very young. I was 20 years old when I got into this type of 
career and I experienced that a lot of the people that were in my field were just really older people. So it was something that was challenging for me. But, you know, the only way to really overcome those barriers is when you prove yourself to be really good, effective, when you work hard and when you understand and you believe in the work you're doing. Great. Um, I wanted to ask you, I cannot really help but comment on the fact that from a young age, as you've said, you have traveled into different uh, parts of the world working in various posts. You've traveled from the Americas to Europe and from Africa to the Middle East and Asia. Um, and everyone is aware of the benefits that traveling can provide as it broadens our horizons by coming into contact with different cultures, customs, and traditions. Nevertheless, did you find it difficult to assimilate into the different cultures you came across in order to develop more effective patterns in your work environment? Um, I mean, it, it always takes some kind of challenge to assimilate a different culture, a different country that you are in. Uh, but I think the the best advice that I would give in that case is to just really be open to everything and also to uh, do not come with stereotypes in your head about the country you're going to. And that's just going back to the previous question is you can't have, uh, you can't have any expectations, good or bad, where you're going to because you want to be pleasantly surprised. So you have to be adaptable to the situation and also you need to you know, do, do a little bit of the research of how things going go over there. Make sure you do a research research in, a, in places that are, you know, verifiable, places that, you know, they just don't talk badly about certain cultures or just places that where you actually can uh, hear about what the customs of culture for real are, you know. So uh, I think it's really important to just be very open to it and, you know, be, be, be coming with an open mind to understand how people live and how interact, how to interact with the communities there. Although coming with an open mind in whatever uh, work or pose you're in, how do you think that people can overcome uh, inherent stereotypes and be better in what they're doing? Um, I think, as, as I've mentioned, uh, I believe good work speaks for itself. And when you are passionate about what you're doing and you believe in it, uh, it speaks for yourself, and that's how you overcome many of these stereotypes. Okay, moving on. Uh, do you think cultural barriers are important when it comes to youth de development? And if yes, how do you think they can overcome this particular scenario? I think it's a, it's a kind of like a both ways answer, because um, I think when we don't understand this uh, cultural uh, barriers when we don't uh, recognize them. It's, it's hard to work uh, and develop communities, especially young people. Uh, and mm -hmm. I tell you why, because uh, when we talk about youth development in, uh, in certain countries, of course it varies, it changes depending on the place you are in, but that also has to deal a lot with how much do you, how, how, how much do you know this, the community that you're working on? Uh, what are what are their challenges? How is what is young people going through in this specific place? And uh, you need to do a process of understanding what the community is going through in able to be able to uh, to do an effective youth development process. So um, so definitely cultural barriers are important to understand. But I wouldn't say it's more of a barrier. I think it's more of a um, cultural knowledge because sometimes we just when we work with different communities and we go to different places, we don't do enough research to understand what are young people really in need for? 
What are your wrong people really looking for? So that's something I consider, I think it's really important to just bring that knowledge beforehand to be able to be, um, to be more effective on youth development in each community. Great. So having the knowledge in how to uh, respond to different populations, how do you think the different countries that you visited have responded to youth development, political participation, decision-making, and leadership? Uh, well, I, I, as I say, it varies, it changes. Uh, it depends also on the, how the country is set up uh, in, in, when we talk about politics and government, if it's a, um, if it's a democratic state and how they, uh, how young people can participate through different processes. Uh, so it changes depending on the, on the, on the country or the city you're in. Uh, but it definitely, I say it's more, much more of an opportunity in, in terms of, in case, instead of a challenge, because, um, it gives you the chance to find ways to be more proactive and to understand how to get to that position of, uh, leadership on how you to get young people to be in these positions of leadership. So um, it's uh, it's really about understanding the each specific country's uh, way of developing. Uh, in one of your speeches at the uh, SDG Action Zone at the UN's Climate Action Summit, you stressed on the significance of effectively networking with other individuals whilst being able to not only share your ideas but also being capable of providing solutions. So throughout your work, you have advocated for youth participation as you have stated in the inclusion of youth people as vital for societal development. However, it's natural to say that youth lack the level of experience present in older people working in the industry for longer, especially in your industry dealing with human rights, advocacy, equality, and leadership. So my question is, if inclusion of the youth in such an industry is vital. How can one ensure that their participation will be effective and provide progressive results? Um, well, I think definitely we need to remove levels of experience, years of experience when, we, when it comes to hiring uh, individuals. I think it has to be based more on how intense or how important or relevant the work that the person did, because you might have 10 years of experience doing the exact same thing over and over again for, 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 from, uh, from nine to five, seven days a week. And you did the exact same job for 10 years. And then you tell me, for example, a young person who worked for two years as a leader on, the, on his, or his or her community and was able to change the whole the lives of all these community in two years. So how do you compare 10 years of experience of someone that did exactly the same thing with someone that did two years and changed the lives of thousands of people. So I think it's really vital that to include young people in this uh, kind of um, places and, and, and within these environments is we need to remove the barriers of experience, of years of experience, and they need to be counted as, let's say, experiential uh, experience, more of like how much you measure it through the impact of how much young people, what, would, what was the person doing? How did it vary through the years? Uh, instead of uh, with someone who did, has been all these long years doing the exact same thing. So I think it's, um, it's really important that a lot of places, especially big companies or big institutions that are very old, that have a very bureaucratic system, remove those barriers of 
this very asking for 15, 20 years of experience of a job that maybe a young person can do it even better. So that's, that's, uh, it is, it, I think that's one of the critical challenges and that has to be addressed in order for an institution to really make meaningful changes. Let's say that we remove experience, although in my opinion is a valid part, because when you have worked uh, for some time in a work environment, you're better and you know what's going on in that work environment. You're going to better adapt into that. Um, talking from personal experiences because I'm UN and law, um, but let's say that we remove experience. What do you think is very important in supporting the youth in being able to uh, adapt in such a globalized and changing world where competition is very important in our times and everyone and for example if you want to apply to a company it doesn't matter how much how many degrees you have but it's the the work and the the experience in quotation marks that you have mm-hmm. yeah and and i mean i understand your point maria for sure uh, but let me tell you something i feel that um, just in the United Nations, when I did my dissertation, my, my master's, I found out that only less than 1% of the professional P-level staff at the United Nations is under the age of 30, only less than 1% compared to the whole 100% of people that work as a professional staff at the United Nations. And this is something I questioned myself, why, why is this happening? And the main reason that I found out was because the bureaucratic system asked people to have 10, 15 years, 20 years of experience. And because that limits the access of young, powerful leaders that are able to provide much more insight and changes to the to the United Nations and more effective work, but they're not allowed to access it because of that bureaucratic system. So I, I, I think, of course, the years of experience are necessary. But when I talk about years of experience, they should be measured on impact they should be measured on what you did and the activities that you did, because it definitely does change the environment of the place that they're going to be um, bringing all these young people. Because I give you a quick example. The social media team of the United Nations, for example, is, is really big. But unfortunately, most of the people that work there are older people. And who understands your social media better than anyone else? Young people, right? Young people are the experts of social media and interaction online and how you're not going to bring young people to these kind of teams. They can't come in because when they apply to these jobs, they ask you for 15 to 20 years of experience or 10 years. And, 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 and it's, it just limits the, the possibility to really be effective. So that's how that you need to measure impact with experience, not just experience. I agree with the point. I agree that impact is very important nowadays. Um, so I want to move to another topic. Um, so human rights advocacy has undoubtedly been a big part of your identity as an individual. On your live session entitled Human Rights Advocacy with Carolina Pereira, you discuss empowering minorities and unprivileged people and aiding them in dealing with rights infringement. Although effort has been made by different NGOs, minorities still fail to achieve justice. How do you think the infringement of rights is still prominent? Does this fulfill the psychological theory that humans are social animals with a need to be superior? Well, I think that's a really, let's say, uh, very complicated question because there is no single answer to this. There is not really 
uh, the you know the million dollar answer to a question like this because when we talk about human rights um, and when we talk about opportunities for minorities, uh, it just gets really tricky depending on where the place that we're talking to about or the city or, or the country. So for me, just I will give you in my personal experience what I did on uh, human rights advocacy for minorities, especially for LGBTI communities. Um, it is it is really challenging to give opportunities for people that are not even considered under the law, that are not even, um, you know, uh, respected or acknowledged under uh, the government. So starting from there, I think it's highly important that governments address and understand and uh, that and recognize that there are these issues with these minorities and then they, they should be mentioned on and, and be protected under the law. So I think that's the first step, I believe, to start just, just to lead, give an example, um, just to uh, start giving more opportunities for minorities. I'm just trying to give you a general answer because as I said, um, it's, uh, it's a really complex question and it really depends on what minority groups, where, what city, what area or, or community. So, uh, so I believe it's, uh, it starts from the, definitely from the top, leadership from the top. And of course, NGOs leadership is also highly important when it comes to changing the norms on the ground, changing the mindsets of communities on the ground. Uh, so NGOs should be should continue being supported and they should receive much more um, support from uh, institutions and powerful individuals because NGOs are really doing the groundwork that is highly necessary to give minorities the rights they, they deserve. I like that you mentioned law as being very important <clears throat> in helping minorities, but it's very unfortunate the fact that Although there are some legislations, like there's the jour, but there's no de facto, it's not implemented in the system. And I think that what you said, that changing the thinking and uh, how people um, respond to such situations, it's very important in achieving uh, equality and justice in all aspects of life. Certainly. Um, and it definitely, even if, uh, let's say, minorities are protected under the law, the norm, the norm on certain places is different. And, uh, and some of them, are, many of them uh, are still being threatened and exposed. Uh, so uh, I think that has to deal a lot with the power of NGOs on the ground um, and, and groups uh, supporting and making sure or reporting that this, um, that even if under the law, uh, there being minorities are being protected, these NGOs and, and groups should be on the leading role to report and make sure that these law are these laws are being implemented on the ground. Having myself participated in MUN conventions throughout my years in high school, um, conferences taking place at the Hague, I cannot help but admire the fact that at such a young age you are you are working in the United Nations, and it truly sounds fascinating being able to work with various countries and provide solutions to current global matters. Not only does it help young people with uh, public speaking, but also in analyzing and acquiring a glimpse of the work done in the UN. I'm particularly interested in how social impact can be achieved when countries disagree. What, are, what steps and mechanisms can be taken? Um, well, thank you for that question. I, um, you know, I, I just want to uh, 
give you a, an idea about how to engage with the United Nations. There are many different ways to do it. You don't have to really work as a staff member with the United Nations to be able to get be involved with the UN. There are many different ways to do it, either through an NGO, either through a youth group, either through a company, either through a, just an event or a conference. There are many different ways to get involved with it. And that's how I found out when I started my, in my early years in this career is that there are many different ways to engage with the UN, not just as a staff member. And, um, and you, there are different ways to partner with the organ, this organization um, and that people don't know about. And I think that's why I use my life as an example, I, I guess my career as an example of how to engage with organizations like this without being, without being just a staff member, you know, um, because I have not been a staff member, but I have been in several different positions with the UN, in partnership with the UN that have given me the opportunity to participate in all these conferences, to be co-chair of a UN conference, uh, the UN Civil Society Conference in 2016 as youth subcommittee co-chair and in many other different ways. And I did not have to, like, there is not one single way to do it. There's not one single path. There are many different ways. It's just that sometimes people don't know about them and, and they're not promoted enough. So I use my own experience as a message to young people to, or to ways to engage with organizations like this. And not only with the UN, there are many other organizations, international ones that you can engage with differently. It doesn't just have to be as an employer, you know? So that's uh, why I think it's highly important to, mem to uh, mention that from everyone who will be listening to this is that um, there are always different ways to get into places. There is not one single step or one single path. Um, I'm sorry, and I have going to your social impact um, a countries, a, when countries disagree. I'm, I think it's, um, it's a really important learning process because when you, when you understand why countries disagree, you're able to be more empathetic. You're able to be, have that empathy of understanding why these people think differently than me. Why do they have this specific way of thinking or why do they believe that things have to be done this or this or that way? And, and, and that teaches me a lot about, about empathy. And when you have empathy, you impact people's lives because you're able to understand people's way of being or, or thinking or behaving. And you're able to communicate to them effectively and you're able to work with them effectively. So, so that's, that's a way for, uh, as I see it, as I understand it, it's a way for, for, for impacting uh, your work and people's work. When you bring that empathy, you're able to bring that social impact. Okay. Definitely. And thank you for the suggestion in the beginning of how to reach the United Nations and how to uh, work your way through this organization. Uh, so what would you advise high school and university students wanting to participate in such organizations? What would be the most effective? I know that you already gave some sort of an idea, but still uh, just... As sort of like, uh, in short, could you just give us uh, a small idea about it? Persistence, persistence, persistence. You have to uh, believe in what you're going, what you're doing. You need to find your niche, your your uh, the uh, your specific, uh, um, let's say, uh, topic or issue that you're interested in, and you need to research and find the places where you want to get yourself into. Um, there, I just, I just think for me is uh, highly important that you at least have a clear understanding 
of what issues you're passionate about. It doesn't have to be just one, but you have to choose. Let's sit down and think about the issues that matter the most to you uh, through your daily life. And when you start from there, you're able to find places where you can get involved. So, for example, um, for high school and university students, I started, if I would, if, I, if someone would have said to me that you could start even during your time in college, I would have done it long time before or during your time in high school. I remember these two young people that were participating in this youth group at the UN and they were 16, 17 years old and they were just about to finish high school. And then I'm like, wow, I think you can start even now. You need to, of course, be able to divide your time well so you can be effective in your university, in your school, but you could also find other ways to be proactive and find more and do more, uh, let's say, um, extracurricular activities. Because I think it's that is really important when it comes to um, building on experience. I don't, I mean, I respect most of the all these students that uh, focus on 100% just studying. But in my opinion, with based on what I've lived, I think when you're studying, even if you're a full-time student, you need to be able to find other things outside school that you can do at the same time. Because only just studying full-time is not really going to get you where you are. Because I feel that now, as we're talking about experience, as we're talking about experiment, experimental um, work, you need to try to do more things while you're in college. Not just going to classrooms and studying and passing exams. There has to be a plus. You have to have that special place. You have to have that special, um, you know, that, that, that little thing that would make the company think, oh, that he, he or she did actually, did, they did something different also while they were studying. So these make them special. So I think that's really important when it comes to, um, to getting involved with this kind of work and advocacy. So find your passion. Find things that you can do outside school while you're studying, even if you're still full-time. I would wrap the show. Uh, so thank you so much, Juan. Uh, <laughs> Sorry if I uh, pronounced your name wrong. Um, so thank you so much. It has been so lovely fun cool. to you. And um, Gracias por todo. <laughs> Gracias a ustedes. Thank you very much, everybody. And... It was really a pleasure to talk to you. Very short, but very uh, concise. And, um, and and congratulations on this very, very relevant uh, podcast.